Oh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to the mums. Um, I hope you had a great day. Uh, I got to speak to my mum. My mum lives in Port Macquarie, and so I, it's hard not to see her on Mother's Day, but it was nice to speak to her. And um, uh, it's, it's her seventh Mother's Day as a Christian, uh, which is a nice thing. and It's, it's more than a nice thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but also, it was a hard day for mum. Uh, my, my nana died uh, uh, two years ago, and uh, so... Uh, Mum went to uh, a service this morning and, and the particular focus was uh, uh, praying and giving thanks uh, for our mothers that, that aren't here anymore. And I know that today is a really happy day. I also know that today's a hard day. Um, some of you might have lost your mum in the last year or grandmother. Um, some of you may have lost your mother a long time ago. Um, some of you may uh, not be talking to your mum. Um, some of you may long to be a mum. And, and I know that uh, today is a wonderful day to give thanks and celebrate, and today is also a tricky day. And so uh, I'm going to pray, and also pray that this really tricky part of the Bible, which is very true, uh, but hard, uh, that God would impress it on our hearts. So why don't I pray? Let's pray. Uh, my dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is always true. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who with great courage uh, spoke with conviction that he said things as they were, Father, we thank you that he is the Lord of the harvest. Father, tonight as we consider these uh, three little parables that you would help us to relate rightly to Jesus, that we would understand what it's like to be children of his kingdom. And Father, I pray that everyone here would be amongst those who are children of his kingdom. Father, I pray you would give us soft hearts and, and ears that are ready to listen just as Jesus encourages us. And I pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Uh, you know that this, uh, this parable, particularly the parable of the wheat and the weeds, I think is sort of the answer to just about the most, one of the most common questions that I ever get asked about Christianity. Uh, I get to talk to lots of people who don't yet trust Jesus. And one, the, the question that the disciples really ask that gives rise to this parable is probably the most common one that people ever ask about Christianity. And the, the answer that Jesus gives is meant to actually encourage the disciples, to keep on spreading the word of the kingdom. That's what I think it's meant to do. And uh, that's what this chapter's about. We're sort of spending three weeks looking at postcards from the kingdom. And, uh, and, th- and that's why uh, Sarah and Jane are responsible for these, uh, this artwork at the front. I think this is cool. So you remember last week how we learnt our first postcard from the kingdom? So this is a frame, right? Do you see? Yeah, good. Yeah, for those who are slow, visually challenged, and and it does have seed in there. It may look like it's got plastic bags, but it does, right? It has soil in there. And now, the reason why we've been thinking about that is these stories from Jesus. What they are, is they're like little snapshots into what we should expect it to be like as the kingdom grows. That's what we should expect. And um, Jesus tells parables to let us know. I don't know if you ever like getting postcards. I reckon getting, do you, do you still get, do people still send postcards? They do, don't they? Yeah. And I, I think postcards are a mixed blessing because you sort of look and you say, yeah, I know that you had breakfast and I know that that's the Eiffel Tower and I know that you had it next to it and that's nice. <laughs> and, and you're trying to not be, like, so envy is not good. Envy is when you don't want someone else to be happy, right? Jealousy is not as bad. Jealousy is just you'd rather, it, you'd like it to be you too. So, you know, when you get a postcard, you sort of think, I'd like to be there as well. But it's really 
But you don't get the full picture when you get a postcard. Normally someone's in so much of a hurry because they're enjoying their holiday, they don't really want to write to you. And, um, but, sorry, am I just really cynical about those on holidays? No, you, you send it with love and care. But normally a postcard doesn't give you the full picture, but it does give you a window into what the holiday's like. And Jesus' parables are like that. They're sort of postcards, they're little snapshots into what we should expect as the kingdom grows. And we saw last week, the first one, the parable of the soils, Hence the bag of potty mix, right? The parables of the soils taught us that as Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus' kingdom goes out there, that there's going to be various responses to that. So some seed is like planted on a path. Some people, when they hear the gospel, they hear about Jesus, like, don't want to hear about that. Couldn't give them the time of day. Immediately change the topic, just bounces off. Others of us, when we hear about Jesus, We're like good soil, not because of our deeds, but because Jesus makes us receptive. We love the message of Jesus. We produce a crop, a harvest of righteousness, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Some of us are like other soils. We sort of know that the kingdom of Jesus, we know it's right, we know it's true, but the seduction of of this age, the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth just choke the message of Jesus out of our lives. And so Jesus told that story so that we'd know what to expect as the kingdom grows. Sometimes people react very differently to Jesus. And he said, well, I'll tell you this parable so you'll know what to expect. And so then the disciples, they ask the next obvious question, and that is this. Jesus has announced his kingdom has come. His rule has come into the world. And yet the disciples say, well, how come there's so much evil? that still exists. If your rule is advancing in the world, Jesus, why is there so much persecution? Why is there so much resistance? If you're king, why? And well, Jesus, he tells these parables to answer that question, why? And I'll give you three random examples of why this might be the case, right? Do you know that in Indonesia, do you know that the Christian advance, the advance of the gospel in Indonesia has been remarkable? Uh, today, the Christians number about 7 to 10% of the population in Indonesia. And yet, that's happening, that advance. And yet, listen to this. This is an account of some things that have been happening in Indonesia. There should be a bit of a text coming up. It says, more commonly, it has been Christians who have been slaughtered and expelled through militant political Islam. In one typical incident in the year 2000 on the island of Halamahira, 200 Christians were murdered in a one-hour killing spree. 200 more were wiped out uh, later that year on the island of Sapura. By late 2000, half a million Christians were expelled mainly by jihad fighters. Thousands of Christians were forced to convert to Islam in public ceremonies, some of which included circumcision of both men and women. Hundreds were killed. How is it that Jesus' kingdom, as the word of the kingdom goes out, can be expanding and yet there's such hostility like that when his word is broadcast? Or, or how about Cambodia? Do you know in Cambodia, in 1923, two American Christian missionaries went to Cambodia. By 1995, there was at least a Bible teaching church in every part of Cambodia. And yet we know that between 1975 and 1978 that 90% of the Christians in Cambodia were massacred. Why is that? Why does that still happen? How about Iraq? Do you know that since the fall of Saddam Hussein's regime in Iraq, 
that at least 20 Bible-teaching churches have been planted in Baghdad alone. In that time, it could be more by now. And all of those churches, they would subscribe to the teaching, wouldn't they, that Jesus taught to love your enemies, to love your neighbour. And yet how is it that the gospel can be advancing right in the middle of Baghdad, and yet there's so much evil and suffering happening still all around? And, and, and that's just three examples of what we know that is going out throughout the world that is happening um, here. Uh, we, we know that the world that we live in is faced not just with Christian persecution, but with with cancer and with suffering and with sickness and with dying and with relational breakdown and with all sorts of things. The, the, con- the kingdom continues to grow and yet evil still exists. And so Jesus tells this parable. And when he tells the parable, do you notice, we've got to remember that he tells the parable to the crowds, but then what does he do? He escapes from the crowds. He goes into a, a house in verse 36. He goes with his disciples and just to his disciples... He explains what the parable is about. Why does he do that? Well, the reason why he does that is that if you, if you have ears to hear, if you want to listen to Jesus, he will give you as much information as you want about the kingdom, if you've got ears to hear. So people came, they listened to his explanation um, of the parable. And the first thing we've got to notice about what Jesus is saying in this parable is that Jesus has ordered a definite and deliberate delay in his coming. And uh, we've got to be encouraged by that. And, and the first thing that we need to see, that when we're looking at this parable, you know I know very little about farming, right? As we discovered last week, my knowledge of plants is quite limited. But uh, we've got to know that in this parable, the field is the world. So, so have a look at verse 38. This is very important. Jesus spells it out. Verse 38, he says, The field that these, the wheat and the weeds are planted in is the world. The good seed... These are the sons of the kingdom. You see, lots of people have got this story wrong over the years and they've thought that what this parable is about is about the coexistence in the church of both believers and those who don't yet trust in Jesus. So what this parable is about is that we shouldn't expect to have a pure church and what we should expect is that in the church there'll be those who trust in Jesus and those who don't yet trust in Jesus. Now that's true and that's wonderful by the way. Every Sunday night my hope and my prayer is I'm coming in the car on the way and I always pray I say, Lord Jesus, would you please bring people here tonight who don't know you and are eager to know you and please put them into conversation with someone who would share the gospel of Jesus with them. Uh, Our church ought to be filled every week with people who trust Jesus and people who don't yet trust Jesus and are checking him out. But that's not what this parable is about. The field in this parable is the world. And what this is about is about the ongoing presence of evil and wickedness in the world as the message of Jesus continues to go out. That's what it's about. But why does this delay exist? Why does it exist? Well, the reason is this, is that Jesus won't allow the destruction and the uproot of all that is evil in this world yet. He won't allow that yet. There's a definite and deliberate delay. Uh, There's a definite delay. Look at verse 27, what he says. He tells a parable. He says, The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from, they said. An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather them up? Do you want us to harvest, the slaves asked him. No, he said. Because when you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. 
You see, there's a definite decision by the Lord of the harvest to delay his coming. This is really important. Wait, he says. Do not pull up the weeds, he says. Not yet. Jesus allows the ongoing existence of evil in our world for a reason. It's deliberate. Have a look at verse 29 and 30. He's got a purpose for it. He says, no, he said. When you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. You see, there's a reason for this. The reason why Jesus delays the harvest is deliberate because this is the time where he wants to identify the sons of the kingdom, those who are the wheat. That's what this time is for. It's not harvest time yet. And so he allows evil to continue to go on to the, in the world. And for lots of us, that's painful, yeah? Do any of you ever wonder, why does God allow this world to continue the way that it is? Do we ever want, do we want it to end? Well, do we realise what we're asking for if we do? Jesus says, wait. I am patient. Do not pull up the weeds yet. Now, I've got to admit, my knowledge of farming is pretty um, limited, so I had to actually look up what this, <laughs> how this parable actually works. And uh, just so you know, last week, I, those of you who weren't here, I brought in my plastic plant from my office. And, uh, just cause it, and by the way, it's doing well. It really is. I looked at it before I came in today, and it's still shiny. It's still looking good. The leaves are all in the same place. It's still looking fresh. Um, I'm hoping... Now, Ryan, I saw... You, look up Ryan on Facebook, okay? Now, Ryan shares my lack of ability to, to grow anything. Is this true, mate? Did I see on Facebook that you now have a new plant on your windowsill? Is this right? And it's, it's sitting next to what? Your old plant. And what does the old one look like, mate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The old one is dead, the new one is alive. I, I don't have high hopes, sorry, mate, for the new one. But uh, I'm with you. Buy a plastic plant, you'll be happy, all right? But I did my research this week, and it, it, this could end up in a sort of long botanics lesson, but I, you know, which you can when you look at these parables. But let me just... I did my research, and apparently... You remember this parable. So the enemy, what does he do? He sneaks in in the middle of the night, and what does he plant? Tell me. Weeds, right? And so cunningly, he sort of goes in, he puts them among the wheat, and then he sort of takes off. And all of a sudden, the weeds and the wheat grow up together. And it's most likely that what the enemy planted was bearded darnel or lolium temulentum. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? A couple of you, right? See, I could just keep going. You wouldn't know, right? But they tell me, the experts tell me in these things, that botanically, right, wheat and lolium temulentum, the weeds, are botanically quite close together. Okay, and it's very hard to tell the difference between young wheat and young lolium temulentum. And so they grow up together, the roots are entangled, but when they're full grown, you can easily tell the difference. Right? Because the weeds, they grow about a foot, just before harvest, they grow about a foot higher than the wheat. And so my farming friends tell me that apparently just before the harvest, I don't know, do they have harvesters to do this sort of thing now? Probably. Right? And Terry's nodding. Thanks, Terry. You, you can tell me if this is right. But apparently, just before the harvest, you'd go out and you'd go out roguing. Right? And what roguing is, is you'd go out and you'd see that the weeds had grown a, a foot higher than the wheat. You'd go out and you'd pull out all the weeds. You'd put them in your bag. You'd take them off. And what would you do with all the weeds and their seed? You'd burn them. Why would you burn them? Because you wouldn't want that, the weeds' seed to contaminate next year's crop. Is this true? Right. 
Anyone ever done this? Have you ever done it? No, we're just a bunch of latte-sipping city types. But anyway, <laughs> speak for myself. All right, well, come on, all you farmers. You come and tell me afterwards, okay? But that is what Jesus meant. That is why he tells this parable. There's a deliberate delay in order that the true wheat would grow up, in order that the wheat would be identified, the sons of the kingdom, and that the kingdom would advance and it would be filled. Now, Jesus is in control here. He's the son of man. He's the Lord of the kingdom. He's overseeing proceedings. Jesus actually allows good and evil to keep going in this world. He does. He directs the harvest. He hasn't lost control. He's delayed the harvest. And there's a definite, deliberate delay for a purpose so that the kingdom might grow to maturity. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard it explained like this, but in in the Bible... Uh, the Bible talks about this present evil age that we live in. The present evil age begun with Adam and Eve in their sin and it's continued ever since, characterised by evil. And the Bible also talks about the age to come. And the age to come began when Jesus came and announced his kingdom. And he came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the age to come was guaranteed when Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven He's now seated at the right hand of his father and he will come again. The age to come has begun, but this present evil age continues. We live in this present evil age, but the kingdom and the age to come, which Jesus announced, started 2,000 years ago and will continue for all of eternity. But what we live in, we would call the overlap of the ages because there will be a time when Jesus comes again when he comes to consummate his kingdom, when he comes to bring in his kingdom in all of its fullness. And when the sons of the kingdom, this passage says, will shine like the sun in splendor and we'll enjoy all that God has promised for us in the age to come. And on that day when he comes again, this present evil age that we live in now, it'll end. But in the meantime, if you can picture it, we live in the overlap of the ages between the start of the present evil age and the start of the age to come. Now, why is it so important that we understand that we live in this extraordinary period between the present evil age hasn't ended yet, but the age to come has already begun? Why is it important that we understand that? Well, it's so important that we understand that if we're going to be involved in the advance of the kingdom and kingdom work, and I'll tell you why. The first reason why we need to know that we live in this overlap of the ages is this. It's really encouraging and it gives us the right expectation of what the growth of the kingdom will be like. Have a listen to what J.C. Ryle says, uh, an old bishop from London from the 19th century. He says this. He says, Are we inclined to look for the conversion of the whole world by our labours and the labours of our missionaries and ministers? Let us place this parable before us and beware. We shall never see all the inhabitants of the earth, the wheat of God, in this present order of things. The kingdoms of this world would never become the kingdom of Christ until the king himself returns. We can't necessarily expect that our whole office or that our whole university or that our whole school or necessarily our whole family will turn to Christ because we live in the overlap of the ages. The sons of the evil one, the weeds, will always live alongside the sons of the kingdom, the wheat. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I pray for our whole city and I pray for my whole family, many of which are still unbelievers. I, I pray that they would be amongst the harvest. I do. But Jesus helps us to expect that there will always be the existence of those who don't love him alongside the existence of those who do. Uh, Jesus also told the parable of the mustard seed and the mustard tree to give us a realistic expectation of how the kingdom will grow. Um, have a look at verse 31 of Matthew 13. He says this, So he presented to them another parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now, there's some seeds down here. Now, I want you to imagine this. You can hear, can you hear that? Right? They're tiny, tiny seeds. Now, apparently, a mustard seed is the tiniest of seeds. You can, you can barely see the thing. And yet a mustard seed in all of a tree, in all of its glory, apparently is about 12 foot high. And so Jesus says, that is how my kingdom will grow as I tell people about myself. In other words, how do you think the disciples felt the night that Jesus died? He'd said, my kingdom's begun. And then they are, sitting in a locked room, uh, afraid that people would come and kill them. There's only a few of them. And their leader's dead. Could they have possibly imagined the growth of the kingdom of Jesus that we've seen since then? Billions of people who call on the name of Jesus and love him. And could they imagine the, the growth that's still to come? Could they imagine that? You see, the kingdom, it begins like a little mustard seed, but grows to be this massive mustard seed tree. In Cambodia, there were two Christians in 1923. In today, in Cambodia, there are 280,000 Christians. Still only 2% of the population, but what begins as a mustard seed grows to be this massive tree. So it helps us to be realistic. This parable also helps us to make a right assessment of Jesus, don't you think? Uh, you, you might be here uh, checking out the claims of Jesus, and that's great, by the way. But can I make this challenge that it's unfair to judge Jesus based on a criteria that he never set out to achieve? Right? I'll give an example. To say, like some, some people will say this, I'll never follow Jesus because, well, there's just so much evil and suffering in the world and how can there be a good God when there's all of this going on? Or another the way of saying it according to this parable, I won't follow Jesus until he's uprooted all the weeds, until he's got rid of all the evil. But you know, that's sort of like saying, I don't rate Mike Tyson as a boxer because he never won a beauty contest. Right? There's, no, there's, there's a reason why Mike Tyson never won a beauty contest. Because he never entered one. And if you're listening, Mike, you, you, you should. You're a beautiful man. You, 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 you can win. I love you. But you see, Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, delayed his coming. He never promised that evil and suffering in this world would end as a result of his first coming. He never promised that. He hasn't yet finished off evil. But he will. He is the Lord of the harvest. One day he will end all evil. He has deliberately left this world as it is right now. 
He hasn't come in judgment yet. He hasn't come to bring justice yet. He hasn't come to put this world right yet. But he will. And why is he allowing the delay? Well, to allow the harvest to come in, the wheat, the sons of the kingdom. And it also this parable sort of allows us to have a right understanding of the time that we live in. Jesus has kindly and graciously delayed his coming so that his church would grow up to maturity to the time of harvest. That's why he's delayed. Um, we saw that in Jonah, didn't we? <laughs> Shouldn't we have his heart? I remember I heard someone preach on this passage once and at this point they asked for a bit of uh, congregation participation. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. This particular guy said, to focus on this point, to understand the time that we live in, he said this. He said, put it, don't, don't do it, but just think. Put up your hand if you've turned to submit to the loving rule of Jesus in the last 30 years. So for us, since 1983. Think about it for yourself. Hands up if you've turned to submit to the loving rule of Jesus in the last 20 years. So since 1993. Hands, hands up if you've turned to the loving rule of Christ in the last five years. Since 2008. The last five months, he said. The last five weeks. The last five days. And then he says, are you not glad for the patient delay of Jesus? That he hasn't yet come to uproot all evil. For he, if he'd come five weeks ago, some of you would have been uprooted with the weeds. That's why Jesus told this parable. Jesus' story is about the delay of the harvest. Don't pull up the weeds yet, he says. Allow evil and suffering to continue because I want the sons of the kingdom to come to me. And so we've got to realise the, the age that we live in. We live in the age of opportunity, church in the bank. Do we realise this? This is the opportunity that we have to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And yes, some people like different soils, will, it'll bounce off. Others will receive it like good soil. But this is the age of the kingdom. And Jesus says, as the gospel of the kingdom goes out, expect that some will think you're a lunatic. Some will laugh at you. Others will move from being weeds to wheat. I am the Lord of the harvest, Jesus says. Because the next thing he says is that I, he says, I will oversee a divisive and decisive judgment, destruction. It's really clear in the parable explanation. I, I just need to read it. Now, have a look at verse 40, what Jesus says will happen. He says, Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, that is those who have turned to Jesus, the King for forgiveness, that's what that means, will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. You notice when Jesus talks about this, that Jesus is the one who oversees the destruction. He's the one who sends out the orders. He's the one who sends out his angels. He commands the destruction. He is both Lord and judge who has been established by his resurrection to be the Lord and judge of all the earth. 
and ultimately he will destroy anyone who opposes him and who finally keeps him at arm's length when he comes again. If we've said to Jesus, look, mate, to be honest, you're irrelevant to me. If we've held him at arm's length, then he will bring his judgment. He will. And when we know that's right, we long for that to be right. We long for the day when evil will be destroyed because every day we suffer under this world. We long for the day that evil will be destroyed, but we know that that evil is also in our own hearts. And then we know that Jesus died so that we don't have to deal with the consequences of our own evil. But if someone has kept Jesus at arm's length for good, then he will give them exactly what they asked for. And nothing in this world could be more evil, could it, than to oppose the rule of Jesus, who loves us and who made us. To ignore him is, is the most evil thing that could ever happen in this world. And so those who have asked Jesus to stay off, he says, I'll give them what they ask for. And it's a destruction. The weeds will be burned. And it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a vivid metaphor, isn't it? Jesus talks in powerful metaphors because this is a serious thing. He says there will be weeping. When Jesus speaks of hell, he says it will be an extraordinarily sad place. He says there will be gnashing of teeth. It's that feeling of agony and regret and despair. And the reason why Jesus told these parables is because it's decisive. There's no way back. There's no last chance saloon. There's no probation. There's no suspended sentence. There's no second chance. This is it. When the harvest comes at the end of the age, the weeds will be burned as they are thrown into the fire. It is endless, hopeless, helpless, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says. Now, the idea that purgatory exists, I was, I was taught this as a young fella, that, that after death you, you can sort of spend some time paying off your own sins and then end up in heaven after that, uh, not from the Bible. Uh, there's other ideas surrounding this. So C.S. Lewis, quite famously, uh, otherwise fine Christian man, definitely in heaven with Jesus. I can't wait to meet him. But on this he was not right. Uh, in, in the Narnia Chronicles, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but he wrote, he said, those who passionately worshipped Tash, which I think was the name that he gave to sort of the other gods. So Aslan was Jesus, and if you passionately worship Jesus, yes, you're in heaven. But if you passionately worship Tash, you gave your life to him or it, then after death, even though Tash isn't the true God, that you'll have another chance to turn to Aslan, to turn to Jesus. The problem is, is that that teaching is nowhere in the Bible. Jesus tells decisive parables because there will be a final division between people. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that there will be a chance to turn to Jesus post-death. And you notice there's a division in the harvest between the wheat, the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds, the sons of the evil one, those who do not recognise Jesus' kingly rule. And the contrast couldn't be clearer, could it? Um, look at verse 42. It says, They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's one side. 
But then the righteous, those who receive Jesus' forgiveness, they'll shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. And you notice it's deserved. It says no, no one will be in hell, according to the Bible's teaching, who didn't want to be there. No one will be outside of Jesus' presence if they don't want to be there. Now, no one enjoys talking about this. And can I say, if you take any strange delight in talking about this, uh, you'll never get to speak from this platform, I assure you. Right? There is no fun in this. But Jesus spoke about hell. Ten times in Matthew's Gospel, the topic of hell is brought up. Eight times it's on the lips of Jesus. Six times, you know the glorious Sermon on the Mount, where all that wonderful teaching Jesus has. Six times he mentions hell there. You know that. Um, you know sometimes people like to joke about hell. It's it's sort of the way that sometimes we deal with how horrible it would be. And uh, I don't know if I've shown you this before, but uh, people, there's a bit of a cartoon here, right? And Larson did this cartoon, and I don't know if you can see the cartoon. So people. As long as we can talk about hell like this, it's okay. So you've got Satan in his sort of cloaks and he's, you know, he's got the sort of horns. And then do you see the coffee urn on the side? You see that? Yeah, and so they're all sort of lining up for coffee. And uh, it says, oh man, the coffee's cold. They've thought of everything. Right? And see, this is the thing. As long as people joke about hell, apparently it's all right. Sort of Satan in tights or cloaks and, and, and even the coffee's cold, so... But as soon as we sort of, you can take it off, Drew. Um, as soon as we talk about hell as something that's real and dreadful, those of us who are Christians are sort of labelled as arrogant or trying to scare people. But And so any serious talk about hell or return of Jesus or the harvest, or the, the, the separation of the wheat and the weeds, it's sort of banned. You're just not allowed to talk about this sort of stuff anymore. But we need to talk about this. I remember a mate of mine, Chapo, who's since gone to be with Jesus. He recalls a conversation that he had with a, a bloke that he was talking to one day. And the guy said to him, ah, look, mate, my mates will be there, so it'll be cool. And Chapo said, no, they won't. He said, there'll be no friendship. There'll be no fun. There'll be no frivolity. For all those things are the good things of God. And none of the good things of God will be there. You see, Jesus doesn't joke about hell. He warns us about it. Jesus doesn't joke about hell. He died on a cross to forgive our sins so that we wouldn't have to go there. And patiently and mercilessly, mercilessly, don't you hate in a really important moment you actually trip over your words? Patiently and with mercy and graciously, he waits. Now see these flowers? See how Sarah put some sticks with them? meant to be like the weeds. I know lots of us, sometimes in our weaker moments when we're going through life, we would like, Lord, can you please get rid of all the sticks? Can you just get rid of all the weeds? I would love to enjoy your beautiful kingdom right now. But do we know what we're asking for? We're asking for Jesus, the Lord of all the earth, to come in his judgment. And he says, no, wait, do not pull up the weeds because I love this world and I love the people of this world, and I'm being patient with them, and I want them to come back to me. It won't be all right on the night. If this is you, 
If you're here tonight and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I please plead with you, don't continue to sow discontent in the future of a life separated from Jesus forever. Do not do that. Can I say that 18 years I've been a Christian, almost now, yeah, so I haven't quite been a Christian half my life. And can I say that, yeah, the Christian life isn't easy? It's not. But can I say that living with Jesus as your Lord is a good thing? He will never let you down. He died for your sins and there is no reason to delay turning to him. He is delaying for a little bit because he's patient with you. If you know this is all true, but you just haven't yet come to the point where you say, yep, I want to put my light in with Jesus. I want to turn to him. Can you please come and talk to me tonight? I desperately want to talk to you. Because Jesus has delayed the harvest of the wheat and the weeds. Why? Because of you. Please come and talk to me. Please be part of the harvest of the wheat and not of the weeds. This world is not out of control. It's not. Jesus has allowed all of this to happen. He's allowed the sons of the evil one to continue to grow up along with the sons of the kingdom. The wheat and the weeds are growing together. This world is a mess. Jesus knows that. And one day he's going to fix it. Please be the wheat and trust Jesus. Let's pray. My dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercy of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that in your mercy you have delayed his return, that you haven't yet harvested, that you haven't yet brought your final justice to this world, that you haven't yet put all things right. Um, Father, in, in sometimes in our weaker moments, we, we would love for this world to be perfect. We would love for the age to come to be here in all of its fullness. We'd love for there to be no sickness and and cancer and death and broken families. We would love all that to be true. But Father, we thank you that even though we need to live through that suffering, that there's a reason for it, that you're patient, that you're waiting for people to come back before the harvest. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand that you're patient, that you would help us to be patient with people. And, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't yet responded to your son, the Lord Jesus, as king, that, Father, you would help them to turn tonight to him, to trust him, to ask him for forgiveness, and to know that they have it through his death and resurrection. And I pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.